Welcome to the Subject Composition and Light Photography Podcast. Show notes, links and contact details can be found at robnunphoto.com. That's www.robnunphoto.com. SCL is a proud member of the Tech Podcast Network and loads of other great tech podcasts can be found over at www.techpodcast.com. Now on with the show. Hi everybody and welcome to SCL, the Subject, Composition and Light Photography Podcast. This is episode 233 uh, for the 20th of April 2014. It's Easter Sunday, so happy Easter everybody. Hope you haven't eaten too many chocolate eggs and um, various Easter goodies. Well, here we are, we're back again. Um, thanks for everybody for hanging on. I know the release schedule of uh, SCL has kind of, well, hasn't really slipped but it's just kind of slowed down a little bit and I've kind of moved more into a situation where I'm um, releasing about one episode one episode a month at the moment but don't fret it will start to increase hopefully as we go into the summer and maybe as I get a little bit more um, a little bit more spare time to spend on uh, producing uh, producing the podcast because I've been pretty much committed to producing lots of videos for the YouTube channel um, so you haven't checked it out already if you just go to robnumphoto.com and then go to the right hand side you'll see there's links to YouTube and I've been doing lots of reviews on on loads of uh, different things so I thought I'd take the opportunity this month to kind of catch up with some of that information that maybe I haven't shared to the podcast community quite yet um, just to bring everybody up to speed and kind of direct you on over to YouTube if you've got a spare couple of minutes just to go over check out some of these videos if you want to because um, I know personally although I do watch quite a lot of YouTube videos when I'm um, when I'm kind of uh, researching different things, um, I prefer to listen to my podcasts in on audio when I'm when I'm driving to work, so so I could full full welly, full well <laughs> understand that. <laughs> you can tell I'm out of practice with the podcast, can you? Anyway, so what have I been up to recently? Well, I've been up to, out taking lots of photographs at various different times with the 600D um, and a film camera, which I'll talk about in a minute as well. Um, and putting lots of videos on YouTube and working really, really hard but really looking forward to the spring and uh, summer. So I kind of like to start off with talking about an app or a program for your desktop PC and for your phone which you might find really uh, useful. It's called the Photographer's Ephemeris. If you do a Google search for Photographer's and Ephemeris which is E-P-H-E-M-E-R-I-S You'll want the first site should be uh, photoephemeris.com, and the Windows app for your desktop is free. Um, you've got to pay for the Android app or the iOS app, I think. Um, uh, well, definitely the Android app. And what it enables you to do is to work out the position. Well, first, it, you can work out the the. It will work out for you. Sorry, the um, time that. Uh, the sun will come up and set and the moon will come up and set at any time at any point on the surface of the earth and furthermore it will let you work out the position 
of the sun or the moon at any time at any place on earth so for example if you're going to do a sunset shot somewhere uh, the photographer's ephemeris will show you at that particular point at the time of your choosing when the sun will, sun will come up or when it will set um, and it will also show you the position of the sun throughout the day so as the angle changes um, it's an incredibly useful tool for landscape photographers and also for you know your everyday photographer uh, say, say myself I mean I uh, did a review on YouTube of the desktop version and the Android version I paid to download the Android version and one of the things that's really cool about it as well is say yeah uh, like, like if you've got a back garden like we have which has got a limited view of the sky you could have a look uh, say you're just sitting there and you're thinking and you're watching TV and you look outside and you notice that the sky's fairly clear and you think oh I might do some moon photography tonight you can flash up the photographer's ephemeris and you can see um, whether the moon is going to pass over that piece of garden that you've got and you'll be able to see it and at exactly which time you can do that so you can go outside set up your tripod charge up your batteries and do some photography that way and same for you know during the day if you're visiting visiting a particular place and let's say you want to catch the sunrise coming up behind something or just where the sun will be at a certain time of day for shadows and things like that you can look at the photographer's ephemeris uh, it uses google maps as kind of as the basis for it you point a little dot where it's going to be and then it will show you you know at four o'clock in the afternoon the sun is going to be at this angle uh, and it also tells you the elevation above the horizon that the sun will be at as well should that be of interest to you and it there it does have some more advanced features as well you can there's things called i think called geodetics which enable you to look at the different difference in heights and angles between two different points so you can work out for example if you were in uh, a mountainous area not many of those in the uk but say you're in i don't know in america in yellowstone park or um or yosemite something like that you could work out whether a mountain that was in front of you was is going to block out the sun and at what point you would see the sun rise above that mountain or if you're on the other side of the mountain or you're looking at a sunset at what point the sun would hit that mountain so there's lots so you can kind of just uh, treat it on face value for showing where the sun comes up where it goes down where the moon comes up where the moon goes down or you can do lots of advanced things so i'd recommend if you think oh that sounds quite interesting download the desktop version first and go through the tutorials that are on the photo ephemeris site just to get you up to speed on it and then if you all of a sudden you think uh, yeah actually I wouldn't mind uh, having that on my phone then pay for the phone app because what you find is just using the desktop version and combining that with things like Google Calendar you can almost do everything yourself you can plan uh, photo shoots and then you can share them in Google Calendar and uh, share the time and the exact long latitude and longitude of the place and you, and you can sort of uh, do without the mobile app but the mobile app is great because it means wherever and whenever you are you can sit down and you can plan a shoot so the photographer's ephemeris definitely download the desktop version on Windows because it's free and then if you like it download the Android or the iOS version too what else have we got oh I'm a bit late, but there's a new amateur photographer of the year round going on at the moment, and it's called the Animal World. I think let's have a look. Is that what it's called? The theme is Animal Planet. Now, over on the RobNonPhoto.com Flickr group, I've started a thread 
Um, so if you fancy taking pictures of animals, uh, whether they be pets or anything else, put them in the thread. Um, and if you fancy entering Amateur Photographer of the Year, remember it's open to anybody in the world as long as you don't make most of your money from photography. Um, and there's some great prizes over there, so have a go. I'm not affiliated with Amateur Photographer of the Year or Amateur Photographer of the Magazine at all, but I thought it would be quite fun this year to kind of follow the assignments that we do with the uh, competition ones as well because it kind of gets you shooting out of the box and shooting different things that maybe you uh, wouldn't normally uh, take um, right got a really cool camera at the car boot sale um, a couple of weeks ago and uh, if you've been if you keep up to speed with the YouTube channel and you've seen my video on choosing which lens you should use for for YouTube videos you might have already seen this but it's a folding camera from the 1920s and um, pick it up for five pounds um, and it's made by Ensign um, which is uh, e N S I G N. You can look them up on Wikipedia, and they're one of the very, very few English camera manufacturers that were actually ever around. And they made cameras from uh, the uh, the late 1800s, I think, or the early 1900s, through to just after the Second World War, when they kind of, uh, they, I think, they went bust, went out of business, and, and folded. But what's uh, really cool about this camera is that it's a it's a pocket folding camera. So it's you know it's one of those ones where they call them pocket. I guess this was when everybody was wearing morning coats and jackets and things with big pockets because it's a big thing. But you know the front pops open and then you have the bellows that slide out and there's a simple lens on the on it with uh, a, a little kind of thing you look through to to uh, to compose your shots but what's really cool about it is that it takes 120 film which obviously you can still buy in black and white and color and probably even slide film as well so that's great because a lot of these old cameras don't they take um, uh, a film that you can't really get anymore that you have to roll your own but this takes 120 film easy you know I've already got a load of expired stuff of that so I chucked a roll in, into it um, the lens as well which is called a synchro a shutter um, this, this camera is actually called the Ensign uh, All Distance Pocket Camera, which means that to focus these cameras, normally what you do is you move the bellows backwards and forwards. But this one, they said, no, no, no you don't worry about that. It's got a simple zone focus, so it's only got two positions. It's got views, so everything. <laughs> and then I think if you're close in about five feet, you set it to portrait, so, so people. So that's it. And then sometimes as well with the shutter when you're setting the aperture lots of these cameras have really strange numbers they don't have f-stops um, they have uh, their own measurements and you've got to kind of convert it and it can be a bit confusing but this one again they made it really really simple they've just got three uh, apertures they've got small medium and large and uh, in the instruction manual that it came with which was great it says small is great for um, bright sunny days medium is for almost everything else um, and um, sorry let me start again medium is good for <laughs> for bright sunny days large is good for overcast days um, small you would use when if you had the shutter on the bulb mode or the timer mode because it's got three shutter settings as well you can have the instantaneous photo so the click and it takes a photo you can have the bulb where you hold it down and as long as you keep your fifth, your finger down the shutter stays open and you've got timed where you click it once it opens click it again and it shuts it so really exciting now these films these sorry these cameras can be had on ebay really cheaply as well mainly because i don't think people realize that they take 120 film 
because if they do people would be snapping them up and you can have them I think for between 10 and 20 pounds probably not outside the UK because again I don't know whether there be many of these outside of the UK but on ebay.co.uk if you just search doing a search for ensign um, all distance pocket you'll probably come up with one of these and as long as it says it works it might be worth having a punt you know spending a tenner on one putting some 120 film in because you kind of with these types of cameras it, t it takes you to the back to the basics of photography it introduces a lot of quirks and uh, happy mistakes because composing photographs by looking down through the little viewfinder is, is haphazard at best and it has like this flip up screen as well that you can use um, that you kind of look through that again I don't know how you'd <laughs> you could line much stuff up the only advice I could probably give is get your subject away from the edges um, but I'm looking forward to developing the film in this I may well develop it tonight we'll see see how we go and see if I've got any time see if it's come out see if it's sharp at all I've got to figure out a way of um, scanning the 120 film in as well because my Epsom scanner only does 35mm the masks are too small and then the scanner that comes with the MG5550 the new inkjet printer I got not that long ago it's just really good for pieces of paper and photographs it doesn't have a backlight so I might have to see if I, there's a see if I can figure a way or go on the internet and look for a way of adapting that because that would be really convenient um, maybe make some cardboard masks and then shine some sort of light on top of the scanner to scan the next that way because that would be that would be really good so there we go the Ensign or Ensign all distance pocket camera an English camera um, that actually works um, uh, obviously the thing I don't really know is how many light leaks there are in the bellows because they're notorious for cracking around the edges but you know it looks in good condition and I really enjoyed using the Kodak vest camera that I've have reviewed a number of years ago that was from 1917 that used 120 film as well but that had some light, le light leaks so it'd be nice if this one doesn't but you know you can repair these things so let me just pop it close it up and then, uh, in fact, I had it behind me, didn't I? So let's pull that out. Just put it on the shelf just down there. So as I said, one of the things that I did a YouTube video on, which you might be interested in if you make your own YouTube videos, was a kind of a, a live discussion on which... Uh, a live discussion, as in me talking about it, nobody else involved, about which camera... Um, lens you should well you might want to use for shooting videos on YouTube and I tested the 18 to 55 I did examples with the 40mm f2.8 Canon and the Canon nifty 50 the 518 and the kind of the conclusion I came to at the time actually was that the 50 gave you probably the nicest views because uh, if you shot at 1.8 in manual video mode um, it was very uh, blurred the background which was quite nice and the perspective meant that uh, the, 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 photo, the, the photo the composition was quite pleasing as well however the real problem was the audio because the camera has to be so far away to get the framing you want you're virtually shouting across the room but I mean, I'm going to come on and, and ask for advice about that in the medicines as well but after actually, I don't know, a few days later watching the video again, I don't know if I might have actually changed my mind about it. And I may actually say, well, you're better off sticking with the 18 to 55 kit lens. Mainly because you can... There's pros and cons of having the background blurred, I think. And for myself, who's obviously an amateur photographer and I do this just for fun, 
I think the fact that you can see me and you can see what's behind me in the videos you, you in terms of um, I think there's some, we have some photos I have some photos behind me I mean you can watch this video if you go to rubnonphoto.com and look for SEL233 the, this, the, the video of this podcast will be there for you to look at as long as nothing fails while I'm recording it um, and you can see the Wii that we have that we, have, that we used to stream Netflix to the telly in the um, in the dining room I normally dig out some old cameras and have them behind me as well and that kind of roots it in the fact that hopefully tells people that look although I might know a little bit about what I'm talking about this isn't a professional production by any means um, I just want it to look fairly good um, and I don't know I might well say stick with the 1855 until I can sort out some of the uh, the sound problems I definitely have with with recording when the camera's that far away one of the things I will be thinking about though is I am coming up to my 400th YouTube video um, and it's kind of this strange anniversary really where I'll be going through 400 videos recorded and uploaded to YouTube over the last several years and 4 million views as well which is quite a lot and I was thinking I might use that point to kind of re-look at what I've done on YouTube recently where I've tried to improve the quality and improve you know the quantity of videos uploaded if you look at some of the early ones in fact if you look at some of the videos from not that long ago the, the, the quality isn't particularly great but maybe kind of reassess what I'm doing and improve things like um, the audio and the composition and, and do things. I don't know, You, I would really appreciate um, uh, feedback from anybody who's had a look at the YouTube channel and thought, hmm, yeah, I like what you're doing because it does look homebrew, it does look homemade, um, because I wouldn't want it to look like I was too professional, as I said. Um, so there we go. Now, one thing I did want to mention in this podcast was battery checks so what I mean by that is if you haven't done it already this year now's the time to get it you know as we're going into the spring and spring cleaning and normally you get your kit out when you dust it off but one thing I want everybody to do when you finish listening to the podcast or pause it and go and do it now is go and get all your camera gear or your flashes anything that's got batteries in and just open them up and throw away any old batteries that are in there um or maybe you've put fresh batteries in, but just get a, uh, a system in place where you don't keep batteries in things like your flashes. Um, because I had a couple of bad experiences last year with quite well-known makes of battery actually leaking inside um, a couple of flashes, actually, that could have could have ruined them. Luckily, I caught them at a stage where, although the acid had come out of them and started to corrode the terminals, I managed to get it all off and the flashes are still working. So, you know, let's say springtime, it's not only time to clean our gear, but it's also time to dig those old batteries out, go through everything, you know, old cameras, film cameras, flashes, old flashes, look inside, has it got any batteries in, take them out and throw them away, recycle them as you're meant to, because there's nothing worse than, especially with old film cameras as well, coming back to something that you maybe bought as a bargain, and all of a sudden you open up to find that the batteries corroded all the terminals inside it, and it renders it unusable, very heartbreaking that is as well. Um, Lightroom, right? I've started to use Adobe Lightroom to audit my um, audit, audit to edit my photographs. Um, why did? Well, I guess why did I start doing it? I think I was very aware that uh, Adobe and their Creative Crack crowd cloud offering, um, which meant that you could get 
the latest version of Lightroom and the latest version of Photoshop for less than a tenner a month. I thought that was a great offer, really, you know, because you, you're working with two of um, the world's most famous photographers, uh, editing tools and organizing tools with Lightroom. I thought, well, that, that that's really good. I've also been very aware that although I really enjoy editing my photos in Picasso from the free software editing tool from Google and, and organizing them in, in, in Picasso um, and it's free and it's fast and it's great the problem with it is that I'm just really nervous that Google are going to shut it down I think they're going to go online for everything and I think they're going to bid it um, and you, the only way you'll be able to edit your photos with Google will be to upload them all and then edit them online which I don't want to do because if you're editing well even you know lots of JPEGs working online can be a slow and tedious manner and so I thought well I really should start exploring Lightroom plus I know that lots of you guys and girls out there probably use Lightroom um, and it is part of a professional photographer's kind of workflow so it's something that I uh, I downloaded the trial. I've I've done the trial, and I actually decided not to go with the Photoshop CC 998 uh, a month option because I thought, well, all the time I was using Lightroom for the last you know month, I think I probably went into Photoshop once, and I've got a copy of Photoshop CS2 I think, which is more than powerful enough for the Photoshop stuff I want to do. You know, cloning things out or adding text or you know working with layer masks and the such. And if I really really need the latest version, then you know I'll dive in and go with Creative Cloud for 9.99 a month. But you know, I, I decided to buy Lightroom instead, so it was a one-off payment, which means that you know it's mine. I've got Lightroom five, and I don't have to worry about paying a, a tenner a month. Um, and so far, yeah, it's okay. It's it's very very powerful. I would suggest that Lightroom is very much like when you go from using a compact camera or a bridge camera to using a DSLR. Um, it's a lot easier to make cockups with the DS DSLR. And, and it's a lot easier to make cock-ups um, with Lightroom than it is with something like Picasso. And there's lots of things within Lightroom. You think, where have they hidden this? You know, I was just, I was trying to print out a photo the other night, a five by seven, and every time I tried to print it out, had borders, and it must have taken me 20 minutes to figure out how to get rid of the white borders around the photo. Where with something like Picasso, you just print it, and it kind of does it automatically. But I'm starting to get into the groove with with Lightroom. I've you know learned how to speed it up by using one-to-one -one previews. Um, I'm really starting to like the way that you can quickly sort through a lot of photographs and pick keepers and then get rid of the ones you don't want. And obviously the editing tools are very, very powerful. Um, and uh, combine that with like, using Nick Silver Effects Pro for, for black and white conversion, it looks, um, it looks very good indeed. So I'm going to carry on with Lightroom. There'll be plenty of kind of excuse me, guys and tutorials going up on the internet. Uh, going up on YouTube, so you know if you fancy coming along for the ride, by all means. Um, one of the main things I want to talk about in this podcast actually was uh, kind of related to Lightroom, which is the Spider 4 Pro. Now, I was very lucky. I wrote to the uh, kind people at Data Calibre and said, "Look, you couldn't send me one of your monitor calibration tools, could you?" And they said, "Yeah." Well, actually, I said, "You couldn't send me everything, could you?" And they said, "No. We'll just send you the Spider 4 Pro to be going with and, and see what happens." So the Spider 4 Pro is a monitor calibration tool. Um, what it basically is is a little optical sensor that along with the software that it comes with um, looks at your monitor or any of your screens, um, plays a load of colours and tones through it and then comes up with a custom profile because we never really 
understand how bad the colors on our computers are until you've had them calibrated and obviously if the if your monitor is too blue or too orange or just just out at all what that means is when you come to print photographs they don't <coughs> excuse me they don't come out the way you expect and when you come to share them with other people excuse me I've got a bit of a dry throat they'll look different on their computers as well now I know you could say well until everybody calibrates their screen they're always going to look different well yes they will but it's always good to start from a, like a level playing field and I installed the Spider 4 Pro and the software on my Acer, my new Acer, Acer laptop and I was let's just say very pleasantly surprised when it gets to the bit where it shows you what your screen did look like and what the calibrated bit looks like because all of a sudden the colors just seem to pop off the screen skin tones look more realistic so so I thought well that was amazing I also was a bit well hacked off I guess to find out that the monitor the screen on my new laptop only shows about 70 percent of the sRGB color space so I thought, well, that's a bit crap isn't it so what I did was I got an old monitor that I used to use a lot, a flat screen, an LG monitor down, uh, fixed that to my laptop so it was running as the second screen and profiled that and again that was pretty pretty close actually this time but that one actually shows 99% of the uh, the sRGB color space so it kind of opened my eyes to the fact that you know our laptop screens even when we calibrate them probably aren't that good at representing colour as a dedicated monitor can be. And then I even went as far as getting my old, old laptop, my old Acer um, that I used to use, and that was terrible. That was really, really blue. Calibrating that, because I still do use that laptop if I'm scanning 35mm negatives, and uh, created a custom profile for that. So, very, very good. Um, I think you can get the Spider 4 Pro for about 140 quid so it seems like but let me look it up on on amazon i've got my computer open here amazon.co.uk spider for pro see how much it goes for so in the uk at the moment it goes for 118 pounds which i know sounds like a lot of money and you're thinking oh i could put that towards um a new lens or a new flash but there's no point putting all this hard work in capturing your colour photos and editing your colour photos only to base those edits on a on a monitor that is just lying to you to be honest and um, I think with the Spider 4 Pro you know it's it's we don't think twice about calibrating our cameras do we we don't think twice about making sure we've got the correct white balance and using a grey card or a piece of white paper to make sure we capture the right colours that then when we take the photograph so we should really take i think just as much care as uh, with our monitor screens as well which after all is what we're basing all our editing decisions upon so there we go the spider 4 pro from data color recommended uh, very good and um, hopefully I can get the uh, kind people at Datacolor to send me some more of their stuff again so I can review it and um, share with everybody uh, whether it's worth buying it or not. Ooh, right, well that's almost it for um, this month's podcast. I know we've been, uh, been going on for quite a while now, over 25 minutes. Well done for hanging with us. Um, and I'd just kind of like to finish off with a request for help. I mentioned earlier that I've been thinking about ways that I can improve uh, the production quality of my videos on YouTube and of the podcast, to be honest. And obviously the big thing about that is audio. 
at the moment I record my uh, podcast just using a Microsoft uh, USB headset, which is okay. I mean, I don't, I, I know it doesn't sound great, and um, what I'm probably looking at is getting something like a Yeti mic or something to improve that. But one of the things that really bugs me is the quality of audio that I record when I'm recording videos with my EOS um, 600D T3i because all the Canon DSLRs are notorious for having poor audio um, and so I kind of got a bit obsessed with uh, researching on YouTube and on the internet ways that you can improve the audio um, looking at shotgun mics labs and this sort of thing I mean remember it's got to be cheap because all I do all this stuff on a, on a budget but what I kind of found out was that I don't think listening to many of the well lots and lots actually of the examples of shotgun mics and labs I don't think they're actually that much better than the inbuilt mic on the camera as long as you're recording in a quiet room. Um, lots of the shotgun mics I've listened to on YouTube, they go, well, this is the inbuilt camera, and you go, okay, well, it's a little bit noisier, as in you can hear more of what's going on. But then they turn the shotgun mic on, and it's like, well, it's not that much different. You know, I was expecting a real difference. And then people who were wearing labs, which is a lapel mic, you go, well, it sounds a little better, but there's all this awful hiss in the background. And all this is down to the crappy preamps that um, Canon put in their um, in their DSLRs, which means that any line input into the line at in um, from a microphone has to be really loud so that you can knock down the preamp. Um, and the only kind of shotgun mic that does this well is something called the Rode VideoMic Pro but it's pretty expensive it's about £140 which is about £100 more than I'd actually want to spend um, and again with the lav mics if you want to get decent uh, quality you need to have a preamp and all of it becomes suddenly it becomes quite complicated I I know that the, the best um, answer is to record audio separately. So you, you know, buy something like a, a Zoom H1 audio recorder, and then even if you cheap plug a cheap um, shotgun mic into it or a cheap uh, lapel mic into it, the sound is amazing. They sound great. They sound like studio stuff. And then you, excuse me, you then take that audio, and then you sync it in post processing into your video to replace the audio from the camera. Um, but that kind of misses the point of the fact that uh, the way that I can produce lots of videos for YouTube is I do them quickly and I really want an all-in-one solution. I know you're probably saying, well, just buy the VideoMic Pro then, but, you know, it is a bit expensive. So if anybody out there has come up with a, a decent solution or has a, a cheap preamp um, that I, you know that uh, I could buy that would go with something like this or had an idea about it that that would really help me help me loads okay so that's enough from me um thanks to everyday jones who do the intro and outro music on the podcast you can find their stuff for free download at everydayjones.com thanks to everybody on youtube for commenting on the uh, on the videos and asking questions i will do a question and answer podcast soon thanks to everybody on the robnonfoto.com for po posts on there of course thanks to everybody on Flickr for taking part in the discussions and posting all of your amazing photographs in the group pool um, and again thanks everybody on itunes who go over there and if you've got a spare two minutes go over to the itunes store search for scl the subject composition like photography podcast and give us a quick review and a few stars or maybe if you're on any of the other podcatchers i don't think we're on stitcher yet i've got a 
make sure they put us on that but I don't know any of the other things just give us a, give us a review but most of all I'd like to thank you for either watching the video on YouTube or downloading it and listening to the podcast my name's Rob from Robin and to come hopefully pretty soon I'll see you on Flickr